Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking about the kingdom of God. In the news today, and I've been trying to figure out what we would be talking about, but in the news today, the big thing is the shutdown. The the big federal government shutdown, which is really anybody with any common sense understands that that's just political posturing. They're trying to create some sort of inconvenience with the government shutdown to, you know, it's kind of like the rolling blackouts that we saw with Enron years ago where they were actually creating rolling blackouts uh, in California and places like that while some of their nuclear power plants were running at a fraction of their capacity. And they were doing this because when you had a rolling blackout, even though it was only for a few minutes or so that you'd have these blackouts in certain areas, and they would move the areas around so nobody was without electricity for a long period. And they said it was because there's an energy shortage. Then it was very easy to raise the cost of power. People didn't complain because they, they didn't want another rolling blackout coming, you know. So uh, they said, oh, yeah, I guess we'll have to pay more. You know, and of course, the gas pumps is another example. They can raise the rates. I mean, OPEC for years was trying to curtail the production of oil so there would be an artificial shortage so that they could raise the prices. And there were two guys that were thwarting them who were members of OPEC that were always overproducing beyond what OPEC was trying to reduce the uh, productions too. And that was Saddam Hussein and Omar Gaddafi. And so thanks for the uh, thanks to the insurgence of democracy in the world, uh they have been removed and so there now there is no one preventing this overproduction of oil so that the price was now going to go up because they were shortening it. Whenever you get into greed corporations and greedy men uh, rising to power, there there's always going to be somebody who's going to try to overproduce. And, and uh, so other people are taking that place. But still, that's why you're paying what you're paying at the gas pumps, is that there's a shortage. And, of course, they, they spend millions of dollars on articles telling you that there's this huge oil shortage and that, you know... The oil should cost more. The reality is a lot of what you see in the price of oil is taxes. And a lot of that is squandered and wasted because of the inefficiency of governments all over the world. And corporations as well. Corporations get big enough, eventually they become inefficient. They kind of become like uh, Chinese warlords where they'll, you know, swallow up this company and fire all kinds of people, but their efficiency is in, almost uh, in through their terrorism of the employee. And of course, the employee should be terrorized and should be devastated. 
because of the fact that you're dealing with selfish people. People are slothful. People are not doing what they should be doing. And so therefore, they should be under tribute. They should be under tyrants. God said, you reject my ways and I'm not going to hear you. And you're going to have tyrants rise up in your midst that will devour you and uh, take and take and take and take and make their instruments of war and uh, you're going to cry out in that day. They'll even take your sons and daughters. They'll make your sons run before their chariots. And I, I'm quoting the Bible here and of course most of the people listening to this show don't mind me quoting the Bible but a lot of people in America now, oh, well that's the Bible, that's all about religion. Well, you know, who else quoted that section of Samuel 8? Uh, in the entirety, almost, of that entire section was Thomas Paine. And he did it in a booklet, pamphlet. He was known as the pamphleteer. Probably the, one of the most influential publishers in the American Revolution. And he quoted that almost, that entire section in his pamphlet common sense but because people have decided to uh, go become socialists and communists in America their kids don't read common sense anymore most of them don't even know what it exists you go ask high school graduates who wrote common sense and they won't know they won't know who wrote it you used to study that in schools it used to be an important piece of literature they don't read it anymore, and a large portion of it is the Bible. And he uses that to prove his point, because really the Bible is about government. It's about good government. Unfortunately, most people, and maybe we'll do this in the next show, we'll talk about some of the things that most people don't understand in the Bible, and they don't understand it because they don't understand the Old Testament. And they don't understand the Old Testament because they ask the Pharisees or the surviving Pharisees or the pharisaical teachers of the world what the Old Testament said. And they help them translate it with like the Masoretic text and, and a modern view of Hebrew. And what's interesting about Hebrew, people told me, and I was mentioning this just the other day to uh, one of the individuals out here, that people are always telling me the Hebrew is this most precise language, you know, and and it's uh, so that, you know, translating it, uh, it is so accurate, the Old Testament, and on and on and on, like this. Nothing could be farther from the truth. They say these things, and ignorant people sitting in pews go, oh, wow, oh, yeah, and they'll repeat them. And ministers go to seminaries and they repeat them. You don't need to be a genius to figure out that something's wrong with the Hebrew language. And it's it's wrong, but it's also right. There's a purpose for it. And I'll get to that eventually. But this Hebrew language, every word has multiple meanings. Just about every single word has multiple meanings. You can go down, opening up a Bible concordance, and uh, you'll see that words are translated 
two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten different ways, one word. And then you add to that the fact that translators will even take in the Greek and as well as the Hebrew. They'll take several completely different Hebrew words and they'll translate it into one single English word. You know, like, why would there be two Hebrew words for moon? I mean, if the moon is the moon is the moon. You know, why would you have words that mean both a thing and an abstract idea? Well, that's the way Hebrew was written. Where something could be, in some of the common examples I give you is like the word kidney also means to control something. It means reins of control. And the word liver means to honor. And it also means to fatten. Same exact word means all those things. And you say, well, how can you have a language that, where things mean such different things? And, and, and you can go through, there's hundreds of words like that in the Hebrew language. Well, with hundreds of words like that, plus translators translating words dozens of different ways, you can make the Bible mean almost anything you want. I mean, you can actually make it mean almost anything you want. And that's what they've done. Because at the time of Christ, there was a whole group of men and women, a whole society that was well-respected by Romans and Judeans alike, that believed that the pharisaical interpretation, especially concerning animal sacrifice, was a fiction and a fraud. That all this piling up stones and killing sheep and turtle doves and doves was a total fiction and a fraud. That it it wasn't what the Bible was talking about. They absolutely don't understand what the Old Testament was saying. And and taking Jesus' words and references to the Pharisees that they were terribly in error. I just sent off on Facebook a quote from Thomas Jefferson that said, enlightened, you know, Thomas said, enlightened the people generally and tyranny and oppression of the body and mind will vanish like evil spirits at the dawn of the day. But what if the people do not want to be enlightened? (laughs) Then you've got a problem. Uh, Best thing to do is find others who love the light. And then I I point out that I'm going to be on the air in a few minutes. I didn't even tell them what radio station. But many of the people who follow us know where we're going to be. And, you know, all of our uh, places where we broadcast are all listed on our websites. And if you go to thelivingnetwork.org, you can uh, uh, find out where all those are. And find other people in your area. Other people who want to be enlightened. Uh, And there's not a lot of them out there who really want to be enlightened. Most people want to be convinced of what they already think they know. That's right. They want cooperation of what they already think they know. They don't really want to know the truth. They want to be told that they already know the truth. That's what they want. And that makes uh, most pastors' job really easy because most pastors are in the job of tickling your ears and telling you the truth. 
Because most pastors don't really love you. Because if they really love you, they would rebuke you. And they would tell you when you were wrong. And tell you when you were screwing up. And tell you when you were going the wrong direction. And get you on the straight path. The right path. The path that John the Baptist talked about. The path that Christ talked about. And most people don't want to go there. Most people don't want to get on that right path. So what you need to do is find people who do want to get on that path and gather together with them. That's what it means to gather together in his name to do those things. But anyway, back to this government shutdown. Like I said, it's, it's you know, people always talk about false flags and, and all this stuff. It's not all that complicated. I mean, what do you expect? These guys all run for office. And they they want to get you afraid that somehow if the government shuts down, you'll be in a lot of trouble. And if it ever really did shut down, most of you would be in trouble. I mean, if you lived in Baltimore or Chicago or some of these inner city places and the government shuts down, it could get rather chaotic for quite a while. Quite a mess. But we're very highly dependent upon governments of the world today. You know, uh, most people don't realize it, that 69%, and I sent this out to a small group on Facebook uh, this morning, 69% of the firefighters in America are volunteer firemen. Yeah, 69%, that's more than half of your firefighters in America are volunteer firefighters. Now, if you go to a country like Chile, it's 100%. All your fire departments are volunteer fire departments. Does that mean that volunteer fire departments don't get paid? No, 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 no. They they get paid sometimes, not always. There's actual laws now that have passed that where you can give them insurance and workman's comp and, and all these things, even though you don't give them a salary. And that is really an essential part of volunteerism, that somebody out there is actually going to support those people that are out there volunteering. You know, because somebody's taking their time out, sometimes their money, to go and, you know, protect you from fires or to be community watch, which is you know, really part of the police. Community watch should be a part of the police. It used to be how we did it all the time. You know, one of the things in the shutdown is they shut down, I think it was the World War II Memorial. They shut down Lincoln Memorial. They shut down all these places. Uh, they even shut down um, Mount Vernon. And Mount Vernon is privately owned. But the federal government evidently owns the parking lot. And so they shut down the parking lot <laughs> so that nobody could come to the privately owned memorial. All the memorials, all the memorials in America, all the museums and everything should be privately owned and operated. To tell you the truth, even Forest Service should be privately maintained. I was just up on Warehouser land. Warehouser land is kept really well. And that's, that's a for-profit business. You could actually have a not-for-profit business <laughs> owning the forest instead of the Forest Service. 
I trained to be a forest ranger. I actually, since I was seven years old, I, many of you have heard this story that I wanted to be a sheep herder, but I couldn't keep telling my dad that, so who <laughs> was a lawyer. And so I told him I wanted to be a forest ranger because I knew that forest rangers sometimes talk to sheep herders. But, uh, so anyway, I went to the University of Minnesota and uh, got a scholarship, and I think it was about the highest uh, scorer in our class. There may have been another guy. I think that we were kind of neck and neck there, different semesters. But anyway, I didn't even go to the graduation. It wasn't that important to me. But anyway, I graduated and in forestry tech and went and eventually got a job with the state forestry. And actually, I worked for the federal forestry for a little while. I mean, like we're talking months. I couldn't stay at the state forestry for more than two months. Minnesota State Forestry because nobody wanted to work. Nobody wanted to do anything. It was all busy work. And the jobs that I got done in a couple of weeks were supposed to last me all summer. And so it was just frustrating. I couldn't I couldn't live such a useless life. I actually have somebody that just about was raised in her house. I doubt she's listening to this broadcast, but she's now working for the forestry. And she sent a picture on Facebook. I saw it on my son's Facebook. And it shows her feet sticking out the window of her pickup while she's on the job. <laughs> she wants, she wants, uh, there's um, two forest stations uh, that are both about 25 miles away from us. One's a little farther. And they actually sent her in a, a $40,000 or $30,000 big, huge pickup to go from one forest ranger station to the other one. Both of them are manned with hundreds of people to count spray paint cans because they wanted to know how many were at the other station. So she drove this rig, you know, almost, well, it's well over 100 miles round trip to this other station to go there and count the paint cans like nobody can count up at the other station. (laughs) That's the kind of stuff, uh, you know, she had a flat tire once up in the woods. You know, she's actually trying to work, but they don't want you to work. Now, people don't believe this, but when I worked for the Forest Service in the state of Minnesota, and it was no different when uh, I worked for the federal forestry uh, over here in Oregon. But they actually, I came in and said, well, all that work is done. Uh, What else do you want done? And I was originally started with a 10-man crew what they call yakkers or it's like the old CCCs and so they weren't really men they were a bunch of lazy loafers and uh, but getting a government check subsidized working supposedly working I use that word loosely and I started out with them and they were absolutely useless I didn't even want it would be like you know pushing you know huge dung ball uphill like a dung beetle <laughs> getting no work done so I didn't even want to mess with it so I I gave the entire crew that they gave me to the, another guy and I said you take that crew I'll take one guy one of the guys out of there which I spotted almost immediately is drawn to magically and we went out and we got more work done in two weeks than those guys did in months and we had fun doing it because it's fun doing that work. 
But anyway, they, they literally, when I came in and asked for more jobs to do, they pulled out a chair and they sat it down in the middle of the room. They told me to sit down. And they said, now sit there and pretend you enjoy it. And what it was was that they didn't want me working. They wanted me sitting around like they do. You know, I know a lot of guys who uh, are employed by the Forest Service, and they think they're workers. You know, they push papers around, and they fill out forms, and they uh, have meetings, and they discuss stuff. And it's actually a learned behavior to actually look like you're working and you're not working. I've seen this in big corporations, Safeway. Safeway, when you uh, I know people were working for Safeway, and you had to keep moving. And we call it potato chip fluffy, where you go over and you actually make it look like you're actually doing the job by doing something. And they get into this mindset, and they actually think they're accomplishing something, that, that, that there's meaning in their life. It's a delusion. Because if they were in, in real world, you know, out in a business realm, they'd all go belly up within minutes. I mean, I can tell you story after story after story. I know guys who worked for the Forest Service for years and finally got out and started his own well drilling company and and was drilling wells and I was working with him drilling wells and I and he told me that he had worked for the Forest Service for twenty years. And I looked at the guy and I, I knew what it's like in there. And that you don't, nobody, I always give guys a hard time when they say they work for the Forest Service. And the Forest Service is probably one of the more industrious groups in government. (laughs) But he says, you don't work for the Forest Service, you're just employed there. Nobody works. Not really. I mean, there are a few firefighters who go out there and work, but they sit around a lot too. (laughs) They get paid for sitting around. And it's ridiculous. And it shouldn't be that way. We used to put out fires. All the time in in force in America, and we did it mostly with volunteer help and I can tell you stories about that too. I mean hundreds of firefighters out there supposedly getting ready to put out a fire, and a local rancher jumps on a cat and goes over there and puts the fire out with a cat and you know that simple. He just drove right through it and, and crushed the flames and knocked things down and and did it. Most of the time, the reason the fires don't get put out is because the Forest Service is actually thwarting the effort. That's right. And I know guys who put out fires. I've put them out myself, been reprimanded by the Forest Service for putting out a fire while I was working for the Forest Service. They were mad at me because I actually put the fire out. I mean, they wanted to reprimand me officially, but there was no way to do it because I actually put the fire out with a fencing crew that I had with me. It's ridiculous. But we're going to talk more about this, and we're going to talk about the solution to this problem and what you really should be doing and have forgotten how to do when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Anyway, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Yeah, we were talking about this shutdown, federal government shutdown, and they're actually like the Grand Canyon as an example. That's federally controlled park. 
and they shut down. So nobody can, everybody who was playing, I mean, people come from all over the world to go see the Grand Canyon. And it's basically just a big hole in the ground. But it's, you know, it's uh, beautiful scenery and, and stuff like that. And But you can just walk along the edges. You don't have to do anything. It's private concessions that if you take the mule train down and all that kind of stuff. I've hiked all the way down to the Grand Canyon and never saw a single federal employee anywhere. And so, uh, and, you know, the trash is all hauled out by private enterprise and the tours are all given by private enterprise. So what's the federal government doing? Um, they're just collecting the money from the private guys. It's like Yosemite and all those parks. They're collecting money. You have to pay to get in there. And the concessions that are there, uh, they have to pay to be there. And so shutting it down, you're probably actually losing money because some of those are actually paying uh, resources. It's not like they have to dig the Grand Canyon. It's already there. They're just letting you come in and and you pay to use the facilities. But they shut it down. Well, the state of, uh, I believe it was Arizona side, um, offered to take over the running of it. They would, they would fund it. If whatever funding is required, they would pay it out of their own state cover because it's a huge tourist industry. The, all the people going to the Grand Canyon have to drive somewhere to get there. They stay in motels. They fly into airports. They uh, uh, buy gas. They buy food. They buy lodging. And so shutting it down is just injuring the state. Federal government says no. No, we're not going to do that. Because, you know, what would happen? You might find out you could do it better. Just like, you know, the firefighting. Used to be when I first came to this valley 30-some years ago, there were these little cupboards, like closets almost. And uh, they were built at each of the farmhouses along the, through the, out the community. And in, they were painted orange, and inside were shovels and axes and, and firefighting equipment that was supposedly donated by the government, by the Forest Service, that could be used by the individuals in case there was a fire. And I thought, well, this is ridiculous. All these people have shovels. Many of them have backhoes and cats and all kinds of heavy equipment. When we had a fire go through here, we actually had people who have bought pumper trucks and and equipped ambulances, you know, because we have a volunteer fire department anyway. And we could expand on that. The reality is, is that every single... give you another example is that some of the government monuments, I think of the World War II uh, monument, they closed it down. They put up barricades. And, of course, the World War II vets, which are all old, old men now, <laughs> just removed the barriers and went in anyway. I mean, heck, these are the guys that went into Germany when the Germans tried to stop them on the beaches. They certainly can get past those little barricades. Well, now they've actually, the federal government are hiring guards to guard the barricades. <laughs> to keep these guys out. 
These are stone monuments. What are these old guys going to do? They've done this at the Lincoln Memorial, and they've shut down before. And they just let people go in there. Nothing happened. The people went in there and looked around, and they came back out, and that was it. They're just, they're just monuments. But they're actually hiring guys and, and paying to put up fences to keep you out to try to create an incon- artificial inconvenience so that they can justify what they're going to do this week and in October 17th when they run out of money again. Like somehow or other, we need those guys. The reality is, in my personal opinion, and you guys can do what you want, it's your government. You know, I've got another government, which is the government preached by Christ and John the Baptist. It's the straight way. I'm not really interested in changing the federal government. I'm just pointing this out as a matter of principle. The reality is every single one of these monuments should be in private hands and funded entirely by contributions. Um, Many of these monuments were built by contributions. They were built on federal land. But federal land, whose is it? This is public land. And it should be, I mean, we do this with roads. Adopt a road. How many of you have seen those signs along that? Adopted by uh, the Hikers Club of Kilimazoo or wherever. I mean, we've, we've got people out here who have adopted sections of the highway. And they go out and they clean it up. So, couldn't the VA... Veterans of Foreign Wars, VFA, whatever they call them, uh, VFW, couldn't they adopt World War II Memorial and their sons carry on that tradition and they take care of it themselves? Absolutely. Why do you have to have government funds? You know, and I pointed out in another post on the Facebook page is that... uh, you know, besides the 69% of all firemen in America are volunteer firemen, and it used to be 100%. I mean, the first fire department was Benjamin Franklin, and it was all funded by private funds. And you would actually, you know, if you wanted your place protected, you would pay in, and you, you had a vote and a say over how that fire department was run, and, and your own family could volunteer and that was part of the pay in if you couldn't afford money you could actually show up and be a part of that volunteer fire department and then your home would be covered now they would put out other people's homes but if there were two houses on fire one of them was a member and the other one was not the one that was the member would get the first preferential treatment and that's the way it should be that's private enterprise. It doesn't mean that they didn't go and put out fires of people who were not members. They certainly did for no other reason than if you don't put out that house, it may catch the next house. And besides, these are people who volunteer. They they want to save people in the community. They like it. They like to volunteer their time for something that gives them a sense of purpose. Well, the interesting thing is, is that they not only have a sense of purpose, they actually have a purpose. It's a real viable purpose. 
Now we'll take that back to when I used to work for the Forest Service. Like I worked for the state for, I don't think it was a full two months, and I quit. And they asked me why. And I said, because I intend to work for a living, and you guys won't let me do that here. They didn't ask me any more questions after that. (laughs) But then I worked for the federal forestry when I came out here. And have wonderful stories to tell about that experience. <laughs> but anyway, somebody asked me to build a house. And I went and built a house and quit that job and never went back. But what happens when you work in these places is they make you feel, they create a system designed to make you feel like you're providing a service. And sometimes, you know, what you actually find in the Forest Service, is you'll find people that actually are working. You know, it's like 1 in 10 or 1 in 20 that actually really are what's making things happen. Now, everybody probably does some work. You can't get away with doing absolutely nothing. But it takes, you know, it's like kind of like the old Polish jokes, how many Polacks does it take to screw in a light bulb? You could make that all Forest Service workers or government workers. That would be better. I don't want to pick on the poor Forest Service. I just have experience with them. I'm, I'm sure you, oh, I, BLM, go to there. That's even crazier. But they, they have their paperwork and they have their stacks of folders. I remember we were in a fencing crew, and I've told this story for a lot of people. I like to save this for campfire, but just to give you an illustration. We were building fence for the Forest Service and building trails. That was the crew. I worked there for a month and a half or two months maybe even there. And then, I, like I said, I got a job building a house and never looked back. But we were in a rented truck. And we were hauling a ton of fencing supplies back in the woods. And you could carry it all in. And we had carried it in on a lot of fences. But you could drive in. And we were told by the guy who was in charge, which was actually a local rancher who was working for the Forest Service, Vic. And Vic said, well, you go down through here and you pick your way through these trees. And we'd done it the day before. And you can unload this stuff down at the bottom of the hill and that'll save you miles of carrying all this materials in. And so we did that. And we had our point man out front and guided down according to all the rules that you have. And the next time we were following our tracks, well, a badger had come along and dug a hole right in our track. We didn't see it. And the front wheel fell in that hole. Now, it just bounced out of it. It wasn't that deep. But it hit a rock underneath the back fender or the back of the front fender. And it put a little tiny dent in. You couldn't tell the dent was there unless you got down on your hands and knees. And it didn't even break the paint. So it really didn't do any real damage, but the guy who was the head of our crew reported it. And so normally we're out of there at 7 o'clock in the morning, five-man crew, sometimes seven-man crew, and working out in the woods. On this day, though, it was after 10 o'clock, and we were still all standing around filling out paperwork on this little dent. And the head of the crew, he'd never had a paying job in his life. He had six years of college in forestry, and he was a shaking, just shaking. 
because he was so nervous about that, making such a big deal. This isn't like we rammed into some tree or something. Like I said, you couldn't even see the dent if you just walked up to the truck. Nobody would even notice it. And, it, I mean, the the size of the little dent was like a less than a quarter. And it was under the wheel well. And it was a slight little curve to the wheel well, about three or four inches, kind of slightly curved. And that was caused by that. But, like I said, it didn't even break the paint. And this is a rented truck. And you, I, I shudder to think of what their... Uh, their contract was for renting that truck. But when they take it back, they're not even going to look at it. I mean, this is a fencing truck for the Forest Service. And it's an old blue Ford. And finally, I just, I couldn't stand it anymore. We had the head of the Forest Service, the head of range, the head of maintenance, Vic, and there was one other guy there. There was five of them. I can't remember what he was. He was the head of something. And they were a personnel or something. And they were all standing there. One of them had, like, sheets of paper between every finger on his hands, you know, so, he, like, he was dividing them all off and, like, he had all this stuff. And, and they asked, well, can you go over one more time how this happened? Now, we've all written reports. Every one of us wrote reports. Every one of us is told what happened. You know, finally, I just said, you know, this is ridiculous. And I said it really loud, right to all of them. I just turned around and faced all these guys like it was an audience. And I said, this is absolutely ridiculous. This is a $25 dent. You give me a rubber mallet, I'll knock it out in a couple of minutes and we can go to work. Here it is, 10.30. You got a whole crew of guys standing around that could be out there actually doing something and making money for the Forest Service, getting the job done. You guys are all staying around. I have no idea how much man hours this is representing. We're going to finish filling out all these papers. You're going to shuffle them around inside the office. And women will shuffle them around for hours. And eventually file them all away. And nothing's going to come of this. Because it's a nothing dent you can't even see unless you get down on your hands and knees. We weren't hot rodding around. We were doing tens of thousands of dollars worth of work. And earning our pay. And getting the job done. And now, all that's wasted. Because we're standing around looking like we're actually doing something here. And it's, it's a nothing dent. And, uh, you know, I just, I went on and ranted and raved. And one guy was smiling, which was Vic. He was standing behind everybody. He had a big grin on his face. Because he knew this is all just ridiculous. You couldn't run a ranch like this. You couldn't run a business like this. It was absurd. But they all thought they were being important. And and I think there's an actual psychological thing going on here. Because this guy wanted to make a career in Forest Service. And because that was important to him. He was all shaken and, and worried and everything. And it was like sharks. I mean, like they were all feeding on this guy. His fear. Because it was making them seem important. And they were wallowing in the self-importance, like what they were, had to offer, which was nothing to the situation, was of value. I mean, you go watch C, was it C-SPAN? Go watch it. These guys actually think they're important to your life. Now, they're making themselves important because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. 
You're not making the way straight for the Lord. And that's why they, they're they making themselves feel important. You know, the, the, the shutdown is ridiculous. They're actually spending more money on the shutdown because they're out building up barricades and and... You know, everybody who was going to go to Yosemite, everybody who was going to go to the Grand Canyon, aren't going to spend money there. You're not going to get that money. But you have just as many guards out there guarding those places, so you can't go to there. And now they announced this morning that they're going to pay all the guys who they laid off. Who supposedly didn't show up. It's absurd. It's a travesty. And my son was talking on Facebook to some other people and someone brought up the fact that he says, uh, uh, or it's a, it's a lady, a young girl, who is just naive. She doesn't know any better because no one, she went to public school. What do you expect? Would you still help your countrymen if they, uh, if there weren't taxes or would you just let them rot? In their laziness. Well, if they're being lazy, I'd let them rot. Yeah, let them rot. If you don't work, you don't eat. Biblical principle from the beginning. Don't work, don't eat. You rot. You'd be surprised at how people will get industrious. You know, if you... There's an old story of a uh, guy who was a vet. And a lady brought in her dog and it was just listless and it just didn't jump around. It didn't walk. It didn't do anything. just laid there. And he says, well, let me keep it for a couple of days. And then you come back and we'll see if there's any improvement. And so she went away and she just missed her little fluffy. And finally she came back and to the vet's office and they brought her dog out. And he was just wagging his tail and he was jumping all over. Just leaping around and on, hopping up in her lap, and and she just thought, "Oh my gosh, what did you do for the dog? It just such a vast improvement, you know." I mean, she was like on death's door when I brought her in, and and now she's just all happy and jumping around. And what did you do, doctor? And he says, "Well, I just didn't feed her for three days." <laughs> you. You know, the, the old cartoon where they show the people standing in the welfare line. And the last one to come up to the counter is a big bear. And she points to a sign and says, we're not allowed to feed the bears. It makes them dependent. That's exactly what you're doing with your welfare office. You've got all these people on welfare and food stamps and everything else. And you've... It, degenerated your society to the point where you have 45 million people in bread lines that are invisible because they just use an EBT card. And you are creating a lazy society that is breeding an even lazier and more irresponsible society. And you're, you're creating the problem. And this is lining up the country for failure. At the same time, you're running everybody else who is working into debt. And, of course, they should be in debt and they should be in bondage because they're not doing what Christ said. Now, what did Christ said? I said we would talk about solution. There's only a few minutes left of this show. So we'll just touch on some of the solutions. 
Well, the solution is repent. Repent means to turn around. Start doing something else. Start volunteering. But start coming together with other people that want to volunteer. Homeschooling. Those are people who have volunteered to educate their children themselves. It's not really that much of a volunteer. They just decided to do it because it's their responsibility to do it anyway. Fathers, teach thy sons. In thy home. It actually says in thy home. It doesn't say send them to public school. Until 1900s, most children, most adults in this country were educated by private industry and private effort, not by public education. Most of them. And we had the highest degree of literacy of anywhere in the world. And it was all done by private funding. Even the public schools back then received a great deal of what they received through private funding. That's right. Public schools were privately funded. But they were public schools, like on public lands. But that was built by the local community. And the teacher was paid by the local community and housed by the local community. And that's the way it was operating. We did it. Food kitchens. Almost every food kitchen was privately funded. Completely privately funded. For a hundred years. How did we do that? When people tried to, and you can go to our website and look up Davy Crockett in one of our search engines, hisholychurch.org. Just do a Google search. There's a search engine up in the right-hand corner. Hit the guy with the little peering out hand. And a search engine should show up there. And type in Davy Crockett. And you'll see an article about Davy Crockett. And you'll see the atmosphere and the attitude of people in America at one time. I don't care what the government's doing. I care what the people are doing. It's supposed to be a government of the people. Not a democracy, a republic, but a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. That means you've got to take back your responsibilities. And he tells how people had to explain that to government, including Davy Crockett who was a congressman at the time, and uh, and say, look, this is the way we're supposed to do this. We're supposed to do this as a community. Our fire departments, our police departments, are supposed to be community, not government. That's right. Even your police departments, community, not government. Because if it's the government, which is a corporation, it's not the community anymore. Now, it's going to take a while for you to get to the point where you could do that. But there, because you're not tending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith, which includes charity and mercy, that's charity, you have the problem that you have and it's going to get worse. I know a guy worked all his life, hard-working guy, uh, had a child in high school with another girl, but wanted to support it. And way back, back in the 80s, somehow or other, he must have missed a payment or something. He doesn't even remember. But there was evidently a court appointment that he didn't show up to. Or maybe he thought it was canceled or whatever it was. But, I mean, he's raised the kid anyway. The kid's been out here. The kid's had, he has grandkids by the kid. everybody is content, nobody's having any problem. This is way back in the 80s, this is 30 years ago. 
25, 30 years ago. And he was on vacation, gunning with his wife and, and a couple of his kids, and gets pulled over because a license plate is missing on the front of his car. And he gets arrested and put in jail because he's in contempt of court on something that happened way back in the 80s. Now, he's gotten his license renewed many times. He's got CDL. He pays his taxes. He's not hiding out somewhere. He didn't know there was some, you know, 25-year-old court thing. He's thrown in jail. He, you know, no, no, like, uh, you need to look into this, you attend to this, you need to, you know, just arrest him right there on the side of the road. <laughs> and handcuff him and take him off like he's a criminal. That's a police state. Uh, this guy there absolutely is the most honorable and hardworking, uh, responsible guy you could think of. And he's hauled away to jail because you're not attending to the more the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith, which Christ told you to do. So you're not a Christian. That's why we're having this problem. It's because you're not a Christian society. You're not even a Jewish society. Because the Jews were told the same thing by Moses. But anyway, we'll be back to Keys of the Kingdom. Till then, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking about the Kingdom of God. And we're talking about a lot of things that is just not in the collective consciousness of the people today. They have gone out of the way. They have gone contrary to the ways of Christ, contrary to the ways of Moses, contrary to the ways of Abraham. In our, in our book, uh, Thy Kingdom Comes, we show how all the great religions of the world today, all the religions of the world today, stem back to Abraham. Yet, many of those same religions that claim Abraham 
just like the Jews at the time of Jesus Christ claimed Abraham. Muslims claim Abraham. And the truth is, if you go into the Hindu religion and the Buddhist religion, they actually stem back to the teachings of Abraham, believe it or not. And we, we show this in, in the archaeological and historical records, that this all goes back to this guy, Abraham, who was an extremely influential individual in his time. But all these religions seem so different. But they all trace their origins back to this guy, Abraham. And one of the problems is, is nobody knows what Abraham was really doing. And believe it or not, what Abraham was doing was what Christ was telling us to do. And what uh, Moses was doing. Moses and Jesus were clearly in agreement. But the Pharisees had twisted what Moses was doing and what Abraham was doing to something else. They, this animal sacrifice and killing animals and burning them up. And, and your modern Christians think that that's what that was all about. And really what that was about is about people taking care of people through charity, through the perfect law of liberty. That's, I mean, that's what it says in the New Testament, through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. But you don't do that. You take care of the needy of your society and fulfill your duty to God and your fellow man, which is the definition of religion for hundreds of years. You do that through men who exercise authority, one over the other. And what they're going to do when you do that, because that's a rejection of God, that's a rejection of Christ, what they're going to do is they're going to take and take and take and take and take. They're going to drag you into the world of debt, and they're going to lie to you and misuse you and create instruments of war to distract you and take your sons and daughters, and they're going to do all these things. And you're going to cry out in your churches, and, and God's not going to hear you. As a matter of fact, he, you're going to think you're the faithful, that you believe in Jesus. But he's going to say to you, get away from me, you workers of iniquity, because you're actually doing iniquity. You're accomplishing the responsibility, or trying to. You actually won't accomplish it, and this is what we're going to be seeing more and more of. Your shutdown is the tip of the iceberg. It's not even real. You're going to find, and they already are finding it, people on Social Security, old people not being taken care of. Your new health care is going to cause the death of thousands and thousands and thousands of people because it's going to promote euthanasia. It's going to refuse care to people who who could actually use it because it takes common sense out of it. It's It's ordinances and doctrines that are created by men who don't know you, don't love you, and don't care about you. And your communities are divided because of this, because you don't look to your neighbor, you look to somebody 3,000 miles away. I live on the, on the, kind of on the west coast, and Washington DC is on the east coast, so it's 3,000 miles away. And what, what was that line of Mel Gibson in The Patriot? That why should I trade, uh, one tyrant 3,000 miles away for 3,000 tyrants one mile away. You see, the tyranny in Washington, D.C. is what you deserve because you're all a bunch of little tyrants. That's right. You are a bunch of little tyrants. 
I'm telling you because I love you. And that's what you do when you love somebody. You rebuke those. Because you think it's okay to send your children to public education at the expense of your neighbor because you don't pay enough taxes to pay for their education. And you think that's okay. But that's coveting your neighbor's goods. And because you covet your neighbor's goods, Peter says that you will be made merchandise in human resources. You will become a surety for debt. And that's what you've done. You've become a surety for debt. And you deserve to be in bondage. That's what you deserve. You deserve to be in bondage. I wrote... This morning I was pointing out that the 1900 schools, uh, are, and 1900s, most of the schools are privately funded. Uh, even still today, 69% of firefighters is volunteer. And, uh, used to be 100%, and still is in some countries. And it says you cannot provide charity through a system that collects contributions through force or operates in debt, which is just more force. But somehow other people think that they could do that, and that's slothful, avaristic thinking. And that's the problem. You're the problem. There's a famous line Ronald Reagan said that uh, in the modern situation, that the problem can't be solved by government because the problem is government. No, he's actually wrong. I, I understand where he's coming from on that problem is you because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing you're not making straight the way of the lord you're going to your churches with guys like joel Osteen and stuff very uplifting sermons very uh makes you feel good got thousands of people coming to his church uh making people feel good making them think that they're saved making them think that they're servants of christ but they're actually all go home and they're workers of iniquity because they, how many people in his church are on welfare? How many people, in, and, and if you're sending your kids to public school, you're on welfare. That's right. If you send your kids to public school, that's welfare. That's what welfare is, isn't it? People paying for your benefit. Well, it doesn't matter if it's an EBT card or WIC or, um, what some of the other things I don't even know all the benefits you can get uh, health care or education or fire department that's all welfare that's all socialism and so you're on welfare if you're sending your kids to public school you see that's how they crept in when they first started to create public schools there was actually violence people resisted it they didn't want, in many areas, they wouldn't send their kids to public school. And they're trying to make it a law you have to send your kids to public school. They have in many countries. People are actually fleeing countries in the New World Order already because, uh, and trying to come here. And they're being sent back because uh, your, your government is saying there is no fundamental right to teach your children. Yet, if you go and read the actual... Fundamental rights published by the United Nations, they say that you do. Parent has a fundamental right over the education of his children. Yeah, America and the world is, is setting itself up for great tyranny, great destruction. And they're creating a whole system of people 
but I actually think that working in the government is a good career choice. When working in the government that, that they have formed for themselves. See, working in the government used to be being that volunteer fireman. Because you were a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. So you were a volunteer fireman because you were the people. And if you went on a fire or you needed extra equipment, the people who weren't volunteer firemen volunteered to pay for it. And when you went on the fire and you were putting out the fire, people came by and volunteered to help you and support you. And we used to do that. We don't do that anymore. Because <laughs> we all become a bunch of little tyrants. Uh, somebody wrote, uh, uh, and, and rightfully so, about uh, uh, this, this whole idea of individual uh, responsibility. And I wrote, if we are going to find a solution rather than... Uh, Wait for modern, I, I just, see, I misspelled the wait. <laughs> wait for modern government to find it for us. We have to fundamentally change the way we form our view of government and community and therefore our relationships to it. That's right. We have to, we have to change. That's what repentance means. Repentance means that we have to change the way we are doing things uh, and the way we are seeing things. And if we don't, uh, nothing's going to change at all. And when we change, we have to change for the better, which means we have to go back and take back our responsibilities responsibilities for what we do and for what we say and what we think and and uh, and be responsible to our neighbors and the thing the beautiful thing about this is you can do this slowly so we have a thing we call a congregation of record and we call it core c-o-r-e core but it's really a congregation of recorded elders in other words the elders decide and this is this is based on the government of god at the time of jesus christ at the time of Moses and at the time of Abraham, what they were actually doing. They would get together heads of families because the family was the institution created by God. He created it in nature and he created it, you know, Adam and Eve, no more twain from the beginning. This is the building block of the kingdom of God, his family. Because a family produces more families. All society is produced in the family. So family is king, and, and every head of every household should be king. And every queen, every wife, is queen in that household. King and queen within that household. And the king determines who the high priest is. And the high priest usually ends up, as the father becomes older and his sons grow up, he takes the eldest son and he's the high priest of the family. But if we're going to create a family of families, a nation, that's what a nation is, is a fam, is a, a gathering of families, how do you bind those families together? If you bind them by contract before a ruling body, even in a democracy, 
then you're binding them by covenant. And we are told to have no covenant with them nor with the people or nor with the gods of the people, the ruling judges of the people. This is what the Bible is saying in the Old Testament. But that's not what you're doing. What you're doing is you're having covenants with the gods and with the people around about you. And that's not the government of God. That's the anti-government of God. That is anti-Christ. What is the government of God is that you don't make covenants with them, but you gather together in the perfect law of liberty and faith, hope, and charity. In other words, the only bonds between elder and elder, heads of families and heads of families, is the bonds of love. That's it. No other bonds between you other than the bonds of love. Now, actually, there is another bond that can come between you, but it's still based on love. Is when your son marries his daughter, or your daughter marries his son, they begin to produce children, and there is a truth between you. There is a binding between you, but that is, again, based on love, not on contract. You don't have any responsibility as father of your son to the family of your son's wife. You have a responsibility still to your son. If he were to die uh, and they had children, you should take care of his wife because you're the father of the father. But now you've made the state your father. And the state will come and take your children. And, it, and, not, and Jesus said not to make the state your father, not the fathers of the earth. Now call no man father but my Father in heaven. And how do you do that? Ten fathers, elders of family, gather together and learn to bind themselves by love, by self-sacrifice. This is what you're supposed to be doing. Okay, you, you men who aren't married and you women who aren't married, you should still find yourself a congregation and start helping those families in those congregations so that you become Auntie Lucy or or Uncle Joe to those families. Because that's your social welfare in the kingdom of God, is those bonds of love and caring. And if you want to move to another community, you can still do that. But you find another group that is connected to this network of ministers who seek to be servants rather than rulers over you. This is the government of God. This is the straight way that John the Baptist was talking about. If your neighbor needed a coat, you supplied it through charity. You didn't supply it through a government that exercised authority. This is what Christ said. You are not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. He said you're not to be that way. He used to be highest amongst you in your government of God is to be a servant. So he created this and appointed ministers to serve the people, to feed his sheep, to take care of the needy, to be health, education, and welfare. This is what Christianity was. This is what Moses was doing. This is what Abraham was doing with his altars. And we show that in books like Thy Kingdom Come and the Free Church Report. And you can look it up. And you can see where we got it. And we condensed it down so it's not the huge volume of sets like the covenants of the gods originally was 
uh, it was like 70 to 100 pages per chapter. And I reduced it down to no more than 5,000 words per chapter. So that each, each chapter could fit almost in a 12 page booklet. Because it's too much. There's enough there that if it's being written on your heart to start following Christ, following the ways that Jesus spoke of, that John spoke of, that the prophets spoke of, if you actually want to be a doer of the word, this is how you do it. You gather together with other men who are seeking enlightenment in God's eyes. They want to eat of the tree of life by caring for one another. Because you have to care about your neighbor as much as yourself. That's part of the law. In order to do that, you have to gather together to care. I mean, it's real easy to sit back and think about saving people who are drowning in the sea. But that doesn't save anybody. You actually have to go out there and get in the water. And you have to start caring for one another. So that's what a core is for. That's what a congregation of record is for. It's not an unincorporated association. It's Because as soon as you do that, you take on legally the responsibilities of everybody else in your association. You can be sued for what they do. You don't want that. You want to be a free assembly where you come together and you decide to do stuff, and if they decide to do something else, you just don't do it. You do what you decide to do, and you guys have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, learning to love one another. That's what Christ was preaching. He wasn't preaching to go down to a church and sit in a pew or a cushioned seat and listen to a guy talk for an hour and a half about how you're saved. That's not what Christ was talking about. That's not being the doer of the Word. I want you to start realizing that we haven't been taught the truth and the way and the life that Christ came to teach us. That the ministers that should be ministers of the truth for us have been liars, have been deceivers. But sometimes that's because they were deceived. But the deception has crept in and deceived us and made us something less than what Christianity is really all about. It has not perfected us. It has made us workers of iniquity. And we need to repent of that. We need to turn around. We need to go the other way. We need to establish Christ in our hearts and in our minds by doing what he said to do. And this is what this core process is. An opportunity to do. If you join a core, are you saved? No. It's just a means. It's a tool by which you can seek the salvation of Christ. Because it's not those who say they believe in Jesus, but those who do it the will of the Father. Jesus said that. And if any minister tries to tell you that all you have to do is say these words, make a confession of faith, he's deceiving you. When Paul was talking about that, he was talking about people that were doers of the word. And he understood that profession of belief was action. And we'll talk about that.
in our series on Hebrews, and we've already talked about it in our series on Romans, uh, that are, is already posted and available through the Living Network. So go to thelivingnetwork.org and ask them, how do I hear the 20-hour series or 22-hour series on Romans for free? Because you can download that for free. But it's not, I don't want you sitting around listening to all these recordings, these hundreds and hundreds of hours of explaining what the gospel really was, or, or just reading the books, which you can also download for free. I want you to become doers of the word. We're actually gathering together and trying to become the social welfare system of a society of people that are doers of the word. So as the one person said, do you just let them starve? The lazy starve? Yeah, you let the lazy starve. And like I said, like that puppy that I talked about earlier. They'll be wagging their tails and they'll be anxious to work. They won't be sitting around. Oh, you'll hear lots of whining and crying. They'll they'll go to bed whimpering. I know you can't go cold turkey on this. You will go cold turkey on it eventually. Because in a twinkling of an eye, the system will fail. And people will be out uh, destroying everything. And and going uh, absolutely nuts and, and crazy. But if you've already... You know, those of you who've listened to our show on quantum and string theory will understand that this is not just about, you know, governments and regulations and rules and posturing and any more than salvation is about saying magic words. Or going through magic rituals. And if we do these rituals, then we will be saved. It's not about that. It's about actual spiritual commitment. The covenant is to write his laws upon your hearts and upon your minds. And we'll we'll cover that in Hebrews. Because Hebrews is just repeating what's in the Old Testament. Talking about this covenant where he writes his laws, his ordinances, on your heart and your mind. You just know where to be. You know what date to be. You know when to gather. You don't have to have external guidelines. You you know. You don't have to study and study and study and study because every man will just know. Because you will be spiritually enlightened. But not if you're not doers of the word. So, what's important? You know, Jesus talks about the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Keeping the Sabbath, most people don't even know what that means. Sabbath is about debt. Keeping the Sabbath is about not spending money you don't have. Not spending the money for today that you have to make tomorrow. It's about making and doing the work today and then taking your rest. That's the order of the Sabbath. First you do the work, then you take the rest. Not going to debt. That's what Sabbath is all about. And if you're in debt, you're not keeping the Sabbath. I don't care what day, what calendar you use. And the fact is, I don't know anybody who isn't in debt because every one of you have been citizens of the United States. 
or citizens of Australia, or citizens of England, and all, or citizens of New Zealand, or citizens of, I don't know, can think of all the countries. And they're all in debt. So you're all in debt. And people always say, you know, how do you get out of the system? You don't. You're in debt. You're merchandise. How does merchandise get out of, you know, off the shelf? You're merchandise. You're back sold into bondage. You don't get out. Unless you come out like the Levites with nothing. Not even your underwear. <laughs> That's right. They came out naked with no authority. They came out because Moses called them out. Well, Christ is calling you out to be a minister maybe. But you got to come out on his terms. And you come out with nothing. And you go back in to serve according to the ways of Christ. And your ministers are not doing that. Your ministers have betrayed Christ. And they've betrayed you. And they've betrayed their own souls. And they've, they've led you back into the bondage and become workers of iniquity. But you can turn around, and that means coming together. Coming together and learning to care about one another. Becoming that government of the people, for the people, and by the people, based on faith, hope, and charity, and not upon force. Not praying to men who call themselves benefactors. Not making men of the earth your father. But becoming the natural fathers. There are no deadbeat dads in the kingdom. Cannot be. Any deadbeat deads in the kingdom. We all need to be doing what is right and righteous. Because that's the second part of the instruction given to us by Jesus Christ and John the Baptist. Is to seek the kingdom of God. The right to be ruled by God. The right not to be the merchandise of other men. Not to be the human resources of other men. But we also have to seek the righteousness of God, which is that we must tend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. That all allows us to put off suffering for a later time. And many want that suffering to be paid by others, even their children, so they can have what they want now. That is not only not love, or loving thy neighbor as thyself, it is cursing your children. The same Peter who warned us about this um, becoming merchandise through covetousness. Through covetousness, he says, they will make merchandise of you, human resources, surety for debt. The same Peter who said we would become this merchandise, collateral of for debt, also warned us in Second Peter 2.14, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. What did he mean? Cursed children. Well, that's what you've done. And until you repent of that and start tending to the weightier matters, that cannot be undone. Even by saying you believe in Jesus. And we'll tell you exactly what he meant by that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom.
So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. What was Peter talking about in second chapter, verse 14? Having eyes full of adultery. Adultery, most of the time when you talk about adultery in the Bible, it's talking about national adultery. They're talking about adulterating your rights, uh, adulterating your flesh. They're talking about adulterating your relationships with God and with your community as well as your wife. They're not just talking about sexual adultery because you were you were having relationships outside of matrimony. They're talking about adulterating what God intended. And you do that in many ways. Many of the things, you know, like stealing. In order to steal something, you have to covet it first. Yet there's another whole commandment about not coveting. You see, so why do they have that? Because it's they're all overlapping. Everything. It's through covetousness that they make merchandise of you. It's through covetousness that they draw you into these covenants with other gods. This is why this overlapping is why God can reduce, Christ can reduce all the commandments down into two commandments. To love God and to love thy neighbor as thyself. If you love your neighbor, you won't cover your neighbor's goods. You won't pray to men who exercise authority and call themselves benefactors who are the fathers of the earth who will take from your neighbor. You won't be doing that. You see? It's that simple. And so, the reason they have ten commandments instead of two is because you needed it explained. The reason they have 700 statutes is you needed the Ten Commandments explained. It wasn't to create more rules to bind you up. It was to explain the precept upon precept. But you don't even need those explained if God is writing His laws upon your heart and upon your mind. You will just know that's not right. That's not right. Is it right to covet your neighbor's goods, to send men to your neighbor's house and force them to contribute to your welfare? No. Is it right to borrow against the future of your children to provide benefits for yourself and even for your children today? Everybody who sends their kids to public school curses their children because they all operate on debt. They all operate outside of the precepts of the Sabbath. Because you don't work and then earn your education. You get your education, you owe them back. This is magnified with student loans. One of the big culprits of modern debt. Dave Ramsey talks about it all the time. It's stupid, 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 he says. You know, that you, you pay, you owe $150,000 of debt on a degree in French poetry. <laughs> and I use that example from Groundhog's Day, but, you know, maybe it's psychology or whatever. You have no skills, but you have a degree, you know, in in whatever. And most of it, it's abomination anyway, because they've been lying to you about what's in the books, and they've been doing that for years, and we show you that. In our, our series and our pamphlets, uh, Schools to Fool. Somebody's been tampering with the books that you're studying in an educational system. I have a huge collection that I've made over the years and from thrift stores, their <laughs> first cheap, uh, collection of school books showing you that they've changed history as you see it. 
by changing the history books. And people actually who work for government have exposed that plot. But the media doesn't tell you, but we do. Because we're in the truth business. Except we don't sell it. We give it away. Because people just get it. They don't really realize how much they're missing. But anyway, in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 14, he says, Having their eyes full of adultery and cannot cease from sin. They're compelled. The, the lust has taken over. The, the, they cannot cease from sin. What is sin? Sin of coveting. And he goes on to tell you, beguiling unstable souls. And this is going to be really important. We're going to give you this, hopefully before the end of the show, What, what, why you can't afford to be an unstable soul. I'll give you some uh, modern examples that I've seen right here in this community. Let me tell you some more of those stories that so many people want to always hear. That I get kind of get tired of telling because I never know. Didn't I tell you this already? <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> beguiling unstable souls. You don't want to be one of those unstable souls. You want the stability. And you want to be a stable soul. How do you do that? You start listening and doing what the rock told you to do. And depending upon the rock he told you to depend upon to do it. Now I'll explain that. Some of you already probably are following me and tracking he goes on to say, and heart, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices. Covetous practices. You mean like sending your kids to public school, applying for WIC, applying for welfare, applying for food stamps, depending upon benefits that are provided to you by men who exercise authority. You want those benefits, and so therefore you covet your neighbor's goods, and so that you look to other people to provide you with those benefits. And that's a covetous practice. And then he says, cursed children. How do you do that? If you're in debt, and Social Security is bankrupt, because the, the, all governments are in debt, you know, national insurance... Uh, I can't think of all the different names they have in different countries. All these countries. And I'm, I'm apolitical. I'm not, I don't want to change those governments. I want to change your hearts. You know, every time somebody takes their kids and teaches them at home, that takes the burden off of the government. So I'm actually their ally. They should love what I have to say. Because I'm saying take back your responsibilities. Pay your tally of bricks. Start gleaning in the fields at night. Gleaning, gleaning, gleaning in the fields at night for your straw. I mean, start looking to one another to provide your benefits. Help one another. Home educate. Single parent. Get together in a core congregation of record. And they will help you home educate your children. If they don't, then they're not seeking the kingdom. At least not the righteousness of it. So, because the government is in debt and broke... To take any benefit, any benefit whatsoever, is to add to the debt. That's right. You're adding to the debt that your children will have to pay. You're cursing your children with debt. I don't collect Social Security. I'm not going to curse my children with debt. Now, you may not be able to do that yet. You may have to continue to collect Social Security, but you better be working. If you're on Social Security, you've got lots of spare time. Start looking and finding other souls who want to follow what Christ said to do. 
who want to be and do what John the Baptist said to do, who want to seek the kingdom, turn around and seek a government based on faith, hope, and charity, where every member of that government, every elder member of that government, and I use the word member in a very general sense, because they're not really members. They're just on this same road to the kingdom of heaven. Every one of them is striving daily, sacrificing daily, to create a system based on faith, open charity, and the perfect law of liberty. That's what you need to be doing. If you're not doing that, you're cursing your children. If you're taking benefits from men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority, you're cursing your children because they're all in debt. The modern church has preached a watered-down, do-nothing gospel that is void of the essential instructions of Christ. There will be no liberty if we will not live by that perfect law of liberty and turn away from the socialism in every form and take back our responsibilities to our family and our neighbor. That's just the way it is. Nothing I can do about it. I wrote earlier this week on Facebook on October 3rd that on this day in history, in 1776, Congress borrowed $5 million to halt the rapid depreciation of paper money in the colonies. To quantitative easing, we're talking billions and billions of dollars, which is going to lead to an even more rapid depreciation of paper money, which you already see. You used to be able to buy a gallon of gas for a quarter. Now it costs more. That's just inflation. They monetize oil in dollars, so when oil seems to go up, it's because the dollar is going down in value. So it takes more of them to buy the same amount of stuff. Oil is not going up. Dollars are going down. In order to halt or slow down, they call it quantitative easing, slow down the rapid depreciation of paper money in America, they borrow more and more. But now they're up to billions. It's like you're free-falling. You know, if you fall off every every 22 feet, you've sped up. You're speeding up. Gravity is speeding you up. And there is no shoot. There is no salvation but Christ. And you're not doing what Christ said. You're, you're saying, Lord, Lord, but you're not doing what Christ said. The government is doing nothing to halt the depreciation. They're actually increasing your free fall. Shutting down or not shutting down will make no difference. But it is a wake-up call... And that could be important to you as an individual. People have to change and see the problem. But unfortunately, most will not. And the problem is us. We have been slothful in the ways of Christ. They push like on Facebook as if that actually does something. Now, it's fine to do that. But you have to actually, you know, go to the livingnetwork.org Join the local groups in your area. Form real core congregations and start contributing to ministers who want to help you and find others who want to help you and gather together with those that want to do what Christ said. You don't want to gather together with survivalists 
who just want to survive. I mean, that's their motivation. They want to survive. Because when things get hard, you're on the menu. They will take from you because their motivation is to save themselves. Christ's motivation was to save you. If Christ is in you, you gather together to save others. You don't go to church to feel good. You go to church to be good, to be righteous, which includes rebuking one another. And it does include occasionally helping one another. You know, but don't help the lazy. Help the lazy stop being lazy. Let them go hungry for a couple of days and they'll come wagging their tails like, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Like that dog. You have to become doers of the word. You have to be like prodigal sons heading back. You know, people won't even take the time to learn about the alternative system of the kingdom. And like I said, all, all it is is, you know, ten families gather together and pick a minister and we link that minister up with uh, other ministers who are doing the same thing. And those ministers are health, educational, welfare. They're FEMA. They're, they're the, your emergency response team. They're your, uh, what do they call it? You know, your county agent. You know, people want to, you know, go back to the county governments and all that stuff. Those people in those governments, they don't want to want to do this. Actually, you would be surprised at where you're going to find. You're going to find atheists who are closer to the kingdom than people going to church. Because a lot of atheists are atheists because they've thrown out God with false religion. They see the hypocrisy of false religion. And they threw out God when they threw that out. They'll get it eventually. Because, I mean, look at what Jesus is saying. He says, you come into the kingdom. And they say, us? Why us? They don't know they're believers. They don't even know they believe in Jesus Christ. Because it's written in their hearts to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, but not in their heads, so they don't have that terminology. As a matter of fact, you mention church and they start gagging. And I don't blame them. I did that when I first started preaching again. I couldn't hardly use the word church. I wanted to use the word ecclesia. Because so many people are using the word church and it does not mean what they are saying. They use the word religion. You know, this is why I wrote those articles on News with Views and you can see them on our website. The real meaning of religion is how you take care of the needy of your society. James told you that. The definition 200 years ago for religion when they wrote the Constitution was how you performed your duty to God and your fellow man. You do it with a gun that you make somebody else carry and kick in doors and and force contributions or you'll take their house away so that you can have free education. And you say, well, that's the way we always does it. That's the way the government does does it. That's the way they do it. It's not the way Christ does it. You want to be a follower of Christ or not? Christ doesn't do that. Christ says you're supposed to take care of one another with love. John the Baptist, until John the Baptist, everybody thought we could do it through force. And most people, like I say, won't take the time to learn the alternative. They want to believe they've already got it. You don't got it. If you had it, you wouldn't be making such a mess. You wouldn't be free-falling towards an absolute economic disaster, social disaster, political disaster, uh, and even geological disaster. 
you would be preparing to ride through the days to come. Not to save yourself, but to save others, because that's the character of Christ. Rome was doing the exact same thing we see the governments of the world doing today. They took the silver out of the Roman silver coin. They borrowed money. They tried to create universal health care to appease the people. All these things we explain in the books. We show you that that's what was going on. You're doing the same thing. What you need to be doing is what the Christians were doing. When Rome fell, the Christians did well. Unfortunately, today, Christians are not doing what the early Christians were doing. Instead of getting cast out of the system of Corbin, set up by Herod, or the one set up by Augustus and Tiberius, you're depending on it. Stop depending on it. Most modern Christians have become socialists and do very much contrary to the decrees of Christ. That they say they believe in Christ and that they're Christians. Christian, by definition, is someone who follows what Christ said. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. But you're not doing that. So I'm, I'm suspecting you don't really love Christ. You don't really love what he was talking about. But I know some of you, now that you're beginning to hear this, are going to be doing it. But you've got to do it in earnest. You've really got to make this your hobby, your habit, your waking moment, breathing and eating and sleeping the kingdom. you got to go and take care of your family and all that stuff. But if you start doing this together with others, the burden will not be so great. I put almost full time into this. But I still have to make a living on the side. And we've been doing that here for years and years and years. But we need more and more ministers who are doing this full time. And you need to hear other men sharing their experiences with you about their personal revelation to help encourage you to care for others. Not to encourage you so you feel good. You know, I'm not interested in tickling your ears. I'm interested in dope slapping you. It is time for these people who think they're Christians to repent. And anyone else, anyone else, I don't care if you think you're a Christian or not, or a Jew or Muslim or a Buddhist, who will see the truth to wake up and change their ways. Because just as Rome fell, so will the world system of today fall again. And you need to be ready. And the only way to be ready is to do what Christ said, to do what Moses said, to do what Abraham said, which these religions that go all the way back to Abraham, as I said earlier, are not doing. Now, they are doing some. All churches do some. I mean, actually, somebody has started an atheist church now. And they all get together and they sit and they listen to somebody talk and they have a great time. And you might as well go to that church if that's all your church is going to do. If you're not going to actually do what Christ was doing and saying, you might as well go to that church. Because you're already taking his name in vain. That's another one of those commandments that you're sinning with. Now, I, I know I'm hard on a lot of people 
when I talk about all these things. But I'm showing you a real solution here that Christ was trying to show you. And, you know, my, my, uh, my talk is often a dope slap to say that you've, you've screwed up. But that's good news. That's part of the good news to know that you screwed up. Because with that news, you can do something about it. So anyway, I already mentioned several times, go to thelivingnetwork.org, all one word, thelivingnetwork.org, and it'll take you to another page, probably. Uh, we'll eventually have a page on that website. We already do have one. And we have courses that we give on a regular basis. Uh, we have an order group that is starting to learn more and more about this. But we have congregations of record, and that's really where you need to go because I can't be teaching everybody what I know. And the fact is we have ministers now that are learning things that they teach me. They help me. Because no man is really the teacher. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. And But in order to find access to that Holy Spirit, you need to be like that prodigal son and turn around and head back. And that means that you actually have to put your feet in motion. Put your hands to the plow. You have to actually start doing the work. And and probably the most important work right now is to find those other lost souls. Society has crumbled around us, spiritually. You know, and I I talked about, you know, that phrase uh, where it talks about the the soul. I can't remember what the phrase was (laughs) Uh, in... uh, uh, let's see if we can find that. But anyway, uh, in that Second Peter, uh, with a covetous practice, but it talks about unstable souls. What's happening? And this is on the spiritual level now. We're going to talk about these physical things on the spiritual level real quick here. What's happening is there is an army dividing. And one side is following after Satan in the spiritual realm. And it's taking physical people with it. And it's plugging them into all these evil things. And you see in the video games and the violence and and the disrespect and all that stuff. And on the other side, there are people that are beginning to plug into the ways of Christ. Now, this is like those seeds sown. They're not all going to grow up because they're not rooting themselves down. They're falling on rocky ground. They're falling on dry ground. They're falling with birds eating them up. But some of them are going to need to root. And that rooting is doing, putting your feet in motion. And you need to do that so that you become that stable soul. Because right now you're the unstable soul. But anyway, we'll talk more about this next time on Keys to the Kingdom. Till then, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www dot his holy church dot net